Yeah, thanks for meeting with us today. Um, so Jeff, you are the creative technologist. You're based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, you're currently leading the emerging media initiatives at the Innovation Studio, or is, that is the research design and development lab at the Carnegie Museums of Philadelphia, which I am interested, or Pittsburgh, sorry, which I am interested in learning more about. Um, your professional work sort of lives at the intersection of technology, cultural narrative, and interaction. And you can follow your thoughts and ideas and what you're working on at your website, which is staticmade.com. Um, you can also follow you at Twitter, which is the same, at staticmade. And you also host a podcast called Museopunks, which I have listened to before with Suze Cairns, who's the digital content manager at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Anything else we should know about you before we delve into some questions? <laughs> no, I think that covers it. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in museums, uh, digital media, and kind of how you got to where you are today? Uh, sure. It's, um, I think it's a, a non-traditional path. Um, I kind of came of age in the mid to late 90s as a punk rock kid playing rock and roll and um, discovered this thing called the World Wide Web when I was trying to book tours for my band. Um, and so, uh, you know, I built my first website in 97, um, then went to college and you couldn't really study web design or, or, I mean, sure, there were computer science degrees and things like that, but the web was so new that it wasn't formally taught. And um, so I went to uh, undergrad in media relations and, and um, communications, media type things like PR and crisis communications, that, that sort of thing. But the but the tech kind of always stuck with me. Um, I really loved it. Uh, you know, at that time, kind of just learning all I could about code um, was almost an obsession. And then, um, you know, I think the punk rock ethic and the hacker ethic are, are very close together. And so I, I just kind of stuck with me. And then, I, you know, after I graduated school, I, I knew I didn't want to work for a, a corporation or a big company. So I've always been kind of artsy. So uh, it was made perfect sense to kind of do this type of thing for cultural institutions. So, so I, my first gig uh, with at a museum was at a, a, a place called the Mattress Factory here in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a, a really cool um, installation art museum. They have artists and residencies and very forward thinking. So like working, working at that at the mattress factory specifically when i did in 2005 2006 like when social media was coming around mm -hmm. uh, allowed me to be a little bit creative when it came to things like facebook and twitter and and so combining the the, the web background that i had with social um, was interesting and then from there i went to the carnegie museums of pittsburgh where i am now and i kind of bounced around so, Car so carnegie museums of pittsburgh is actually yeah. four museums there's right. the museum of Museum of Art, Museum of Natural History, the, the Carnegie Science Center, and the Andy Warhol Museum. Right. And yeah, so I, I was uh, at the Museum of Art and the Andy Warhol Museum, and now I'm kind of working centrally. Okay, yeah. Sorry, that was a long, <laughs> a long explanation of how I got here. 
And remind me to tell you a really good punk rock story when we're done with this formal interview. Okay, cool. <laughs> just, just happened, and it's about websites and bad religion. Yeah, it's funny, though, because I, I think if you look at all the people making really great interwebs now, like there's, like there's a distinct correlation between people who grew up on punk rock and, <laughs> and post-punk or hardcore or whatever and like ended up like working on the web. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's pretty funny. You described my husband, who's a graphic <laughs> designer, and he's a huge punk fan, like, yeah. pretty much to a T, starting his first website in the 90s. Anyway, okay, so, <laughs> so um, one of the reasons why I was interested in meeting with you was the, the work you did with the Andy Warhol Museum's digital strategy, Yep. and uh, a lot of the questions that my classmates also had were around that, because um, I'm really interested to see a like Andy Warhol Museum is not a huge museum. We see digital strategies coming from large organizations like the Smithsonian. And it's, we have, you know, most of us in the museum world are not in those types of organizations with so many resources. So it's interesting to hear it from that perspective of a smaller organization embracing a digital strategy, um, why it's important and how, uh, how smaller organizations, my, my museum, I work at the National Music Center and there are about 30 full-time staff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's that sort of scope of, of size. So I'm just curious about um, the implementation and development and the work that you did with it. Um, sort of what did you do uh, and, and what, what did you see as follow through? How did you get it implemented and what were some of the follow through pieces? Yeah, um, okay, cool. So I think we should start so when I got to the when I got to the Warhol, and the Warhol is very small as well. It's about the same size of your organization, probably mm -hmm. you know, thirty or forty full time mm -hmm. uh, staffers, not counting like gallery attendants and things like that. Right. So and it's also a place where uh, the, the people who work there are extremely creative and have amazing ideas. And so when I got there, it became really clear, you know, m me in a digital role needing to because ideas were coming from left and right and not like these crazy awesome things yeah. and so i i really felt that as you know in order to be you know to lev in order to make the most of the resources we had we needed some kind of guiding roadmap for the work that i was going to be doing in the in the digital position and um and so you know, one, one of the first things I did there was, was start to communicate the need for having alignment around um, digital media and, and uh, web, mobile, um, and all of that, those kind of things. So, so what we did is, I mean, we, 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 we sat down and we really talked through what our priorities were and, um, you can see in that strategy that it's not a very broad document. It is, it is very focused. There are, there are, you know, kind of four pillars of what we were focusing on. And, and it's interesting too, because the, the Warhol is, I mean, you know, it's a one artist museum. The, the museum is, is inherently tied to the philosophy and work and personality of this charismatic artist, Andy Warhol. So we have it a little bit more, I mean, freedom and leeway with what we can do there because it's um, um, it has that connection. So we got alignment around the things we were going to focus on. Uh, we then 
um, thought about how we were going to communicate this and implement it. And um, one idea that I thought was very important was that this not be a, a document that we write, we draft, we ratify with a stamp of approval and it sits on somebody's desk for the three years that it's, you know, s supposed to guide us. Um, right. Knowing that technology changes fast and, right. um, and the museum should change fast. So mm -hmm. we wanted this to be a living, breathing um, document uh, of rooted in principles, but, but able to shift and move with, with, projects and initiatives and the digital landscape all around us. So mm -hmm. we decided to, to, to draft it and push it up to GitHub. And, mm -hmm. and that way it can be versioned. All the histories kind of sa saved. You can see where it started and where it will end up several years from now. And then also, you know, that, that, that versioned repository of strategy is, is something that's interesting, but also, the idea that that the the strategy what a strategy is not tactics. There's a difference between strategy and what you do to implement the strategy. So um, it was also important to us that we we be able to include tactics as they happen, and then the kind of open source um, uh, versioned document played perfectly into that. So. Mm -hmm. Great, that makes sense. Um, so I had a question here. Like, um, I guess now that you had the strategy, and you know, what were what were some of the ways that you were able to um, able to start implementing it and having the buy-in? I guess from from the organization was it that alignment to uh, to sort of those greater missions and goals of the of the organization? Um, like, how did you, what were some of your tactics, I guess, that you chose to initiate first? Uh, okay, so um, one of the pillars of the strategy is um, experiences and engagement. And um, so, for example, uh, we're talking about the fact that, you know, especially in Pittsburgh and also on the internet, people competing for people's time and attention mm -hmm. is a big competition. You know, in Pittsburgh, people could come to the Andy Warhol Museum, but they could also go to um, a Steeler game. They could go to mm -hmm. the ballet. They could go to the zoo. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need, to, we need to create and produce and deliver experiences that rival... Um, the uh, experiences elsewhere, um, and on the internet, it's even it's even worse, right? I mean, you're competing with Facebook, you're competing with Google, you're competing with Amazon, and so um, experiences are very important. And you know, we flesh it out. You know, why we think experiences are important in the strategy, but a tactic that we used to um, fulfill that would be an example project would be the uh, hacking of the Amiga 1000 where mm -hmm. um, we ret we basically reverse engineered an, an Amiga computer and put it in the gallery and let people use it to, to view the art the, to view the experiments that Warhol created in the 80s um, so that's a, that's an experience right I mean you're not going to go 
many places and be able to have hands-on time with an Amiga 1000. And not to mention, like, get up close and personal with cool uh, digital experiments from the 80s made by Andy Warhol. So um, that is an example of the strategy of experiences and engagement and then tactics underneath it that, that support that. Yeah, I know that's great. And that really leads into the one of the questions that my classmate have about, uh, which is around the idea of museums dealing in the, the economy of experiences, which was pulled from the digital strategy. And, you know, in our courses, we talk a lot about those, you know, that, that, that competition that museums have with our extremely uh, fast paced content filled world. And, um, you know, also that idea of socialness, you know, looking at how the digital uh, realm has allowed for museums to develop more social interactions and social experiences. And uh, I guess to delve into that question again, the, you know, one of the classmates questions is how do you think museums can offer visitors that online social experience with virtual representations of actual objects or even can they? I guess it's around, you know, the idea of collections and, and, that socialness. Of mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think it's something we should all be thinking about. I I'm personally don't believe that a digital representation of an object, whether it be um, a Warhol or a Monet or Van Gogh or um, a specimen in a science museum can, um, I, don't, I don't think a digital representation can um, replace the, the, physical in-person experience mm -hmm. someone has um, mm -hmm. with objects. But having said that, um, we can certainly leverage um, digital technologies to augment those experiences or perhaps, um, or perhaps, um, sorry, I'm, my, I'm blowing up here. Um, <laughs> Uh, to, where was I? To, so we can use digital experiences to um, help tell the story of those, uh, those objects um, to people from afar, I think. So um, what was your question again? Yeah, no, I think, I, I think, yeah, you're making the, it's, you know, the digital representations of an object, they certainly don't replace the real thing, seeing the real thing, standing in front of the real thing. Andy Warhol painted this, I'm, I'm standing in front of where Andy stood. Yeah. You know, something that can't be replicated. Um, you know, and then the idea that it just, it broadens our audience, I suppose. And somebody who may never come to the Warhol Museum or may never have heard about it, they hear about it and then they do go at some point in their lives or at least that, that there's a purpose for taking care of these objects in perpetuity if they are alive on the web for other people to enjoy, even if they're never going to physically see it. So I guess in essence, it's not a replacement, but it's certainly a powerful addition that we can have. And so, yes, that was sort of the question. And I think you answered it in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there's one, when we talk about experiences and specifically digital experiences too, I think we, I think we should, and I don't know if you're talking about this in, in, in your classes or not, but you know, the idea that, um, the idea that museums need to transition from, from being vaults of things mm -hmm. to, um, to being places that inspire and, um, 
and connect and delight people in space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once we start having those discussions, I think we can, um, we can talk more um, effectively about the way, um, the way we, the way we produce and deliver our experiences, both online mm -hmm. and on site. Totally. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go along those lines that I'm going to throw this in there too, because again, this is something that's come up in several of my courses that I have been in from the business of museums to then developing and implementing these online open projects in a sense, you know, it's very challenging for some museums to think, these assets are the, what bring people into our doors. And for a lot of museums, that's a measurement of success. And it's mm -hmm. also a financial revenue. Um, but when you put them up on the web, uh, it could be argued that you're giving it away, right? It's, you know, you don't need to come into the doors anymore. Even though we know it doesn't replace the physical, there's still that challenge. So, um, you know, the one thing that digital does is it breaks down those barriers that allows people to have more connections to our collections, which is important, but it also um, breaks down the barriers to such an extreme that it's now open. And so uh, one of the classmates had a question around how do you break uh, down those barriers without sacrificing revenue or cultural property rights? So have you ever faced that in a particular project or come up against that with another uh, a level of the organization that maybe doesn't 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 necessarily buy into what we believe in. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great question, and it's something that I I deal with and and have to um, communicate a lot uh, mm -hmm. with um, many different people. Um, so yeah, I think you know I I think we really need to have. Uh, an open discussion about business models for for museums, um, and not that there's a right or wrong way to go, but um, you know there there's certainly something to be said for the traditional business model of licensing images and um, relying on um, gate uh, to support bottom line. Right? I mean, we need right. to make money. We have to support ourselves. Right. There's also something to be to be said for looking at at business models that embrace the modern, uh, the, the modern way of life that we're experiencing now, like um, open access in exchange for information. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as we learn more about our audiences, we can communicate with them more effectively. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we can, um, uh, learn about objects and exhibitions that they connect with um, and, and communicate with them on those terms. Um, you know, I think a lot of being a technologist and being, and doing this every day, I think a lot about, um, I think a lot about privacy and I think a lot about um, creepiness when it comes to uh the data that we are able to collect on constituents. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm conflicted about it because I think that's one of our best chances for a, a modern business model. But at the same time, I, I, I think that people deserve their privacy and don't want to be creeped out by stuff. So yeah. um, can we do it in a, in a way that, 
uh, is healthy? I think so. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 so these restrictions that I talk about that we talk about in the strategy certainly are, are you know there it deals with the the open access to our assets, but it also deals with things like um, how easy is it for somebody to buy a ticket, right? How easy is it for somebody to buy a catalog? We need to make these things as frictionless as possible because, you know, it's really easy to buy something on Amazon and people are becoming more and more used to one click frictionless purchases and museums need to be there as well. Mm-hmm. So breaking down the barriers, it, it, it comes with a cost, like you said. I mean, Amazon has a lot of information about buying habits and personal information. Um, however, it tailors it, the experience in a way that people keep coming back. So how, where does a museum draw that line between how open is too open, how much privacy needs to be chipped away for that seamless experience? And it, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about uh, for example, I'm, I'm not going to talk about a specific museum, but think about an encyclopedic museum, like one of the big ones. Yeah. If I could go into that museum and ask the question, what is new here since I was here last? Right? Then that's a value to me. Like, I want to I see the stuff that wasn't on view the last time I was there. Yeah. And I'll give you my email address and my my behavior patterns to know that, right? Yeah. So yeah. at this, so that is that is the kind of um, yeah. mission here, I think, with with that thrust of the strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so okay, well, I can move on to our next question. Um, in the organizational adaptation portion of the, the Warhol's digital strategy, it states that, and I quote, we are living and working in a time of digital transformation. Emerging platforms and technologies impact nearly every aspect of our day-to-day, really relating to what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and promise new levels of speed and efficiency. If the museum is to thrive in the digital age, it is important that all staff become comfortable and proficient with the new tools and workflows emerging technologies afford. Um, this is around what, you know, what has been some of the challenges of getting staff on board? Did you face any challenges with that? And, um, it, you know, were you, uh, how were you able to mitigate any of those challenges or did, how did it change or not their day-to-day work roles? Mm-hmm. Or how do you see even, how do you see the museum work role for, you know, curator to educator to marketing, how is it shifting now that with the, that we have these tools? So that's probably the toughest nut to crack, I think, this idea of, of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not technology. It's not, it's not, like, we can't fix it with code. We have to fix it with, uh, we have to fix it with, with policy. We have to fix it with um, politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so those are the harder problems, I think. And, and, you know, when we talk, when we get to talking about the work I'm doing with the innovation studio, um, yeah. we can talk more about this at scale because, uh, it's a big thrust of what we're doing, but, yeah. um, the, so w- specifically with the Warhol and that, that section of the strategy of the, of the, of the Warhol strategy, I mean, the, the Warhol is very progressive. Um, it's, it's, um, 
people are very open there. I mean, you know, just think about Warhol and like project right. that onto a staff of 30 or 40 people. Like it's right. a cool, cool joint and people are open to new things. So like uh, there wasn't much hesitation to that, but I think we needed to formalize it in a way to say, you know, what we're doing today, maybe next year we may have to change some things up. Maybe we'll have to use some new tools. Maybe we'll have to look at the efficiencies of our operations and, and change things up. So, um, you know, I think that element, if you try, if you kind of project it off onto another institution, um, mm -hmm. is a little bit harder and, you know, we're seeing that now with the stuff I'm doing with the studio, but, uh, but yeah, so people are into it, but I think, I think fundamentally that is the most important part of the strategy. Yeah. This idea that, that, that this is a new, this is a new world. You know, we need to think about everything we do and, and not be, not be beholden to tradition, tradition, it, although tradition is good. Maybe tradition is not the right word. No policies and procedures that, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I like tradition. I like, I like having yeah, an element no, of tradition. tradition. Yeah. But it's not the right word, but it's, yeah. it's about being being stuck in in the way things were, and I think you know, in a few few readings and a few things, it's it's that about thinking digitally. It's taking an idea and saying, "This is how we've done it in the past. How can mm -hmm. we um, how can we just think about it a little bit more and not do the status quo, but push it yeah. in a, in a little bit of a different way?" Yeah, I think a good example of of this is the idea of of iterative development. You know, as a tech as in the tech scene, like we're all about shipping and and building and iterating. Whereas, like in the museum world, we're all about perfecting and working, you know, in, in uh, behind closed doors, and then and then shipping the final thing, like the exhibition or the catalog or whatever. And that stays, like that's a finished product. And so, yeah. so communicating the idea of iteration and iterative development and, and maybe like perhaps shipping something that's beta or, you know, is, is something that fits into that digital adaptation portion of the strategy. And it's a, it's a good example of like, yeah. of, of how we can think differently about what we do. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's a really, that's a good example of the tech world has had to constantly innovate itself in order to uh, remain relevant and, and, uh, and new and, you know, it, it moves also at a very quick pace. You don't have months and months and months and months to uh, dwell on developing something sometimes. So right. um, yeah, that's museums need to not take themselves so seriously. <laughs> Yeah. I I kind of agree. I think I think a lot of our problems would would be solved if we lightened up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let's segue a bit into the innovation studio and the work and um, tell us a little uh, like a little bit about sort of where it came from and uh, you know maybe some of the some of the projects you've worked on and yeah. how this all how you know now you're being you know yeah, just tell us about it and then how you're being uh, injected into other museums. <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of, this is, a, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to communicate, but I'll do my best. Um, okay. So, you know, I've worked, worked at the Museum of Art, Carnegie Museum of Art. I worked at the Warhol and they're both Carnegie Museums of Pittsburgh mm -hmm. museums. And, and over the years, there's always been a discussion happening about, you know, asking like, how can we, how can we uh, start to leverage the, the the broad the breadth 
the Commonwealth, right, of Carnegie Museums of Pittsburgh. We have two art museums, we have a natural history museum and a science museum. How can we start to do innovative things uh, that that connect those four museums in interesting ways that um, that that just and and also leverage the resources? You know, the Carnegie Science Center has a fab, fab lab, and um, and so how can like how can art museum projects make use of the fab lab and 3d printers yeah. and all this stuff. So there's, a, I mean, I think pooling, like thinking about how we can talk about innovation across those four museums starts to get interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, the larger an institution, the more kind of bureaucracy is involved and the, oftentimes the slower uh, they move. Um, so, you know, the, when I was, kind of tapped to think about this earlier this summer, um, I, we took the first few months to really think about, how, okay, how can this work, right? Like, this is a great idea, but in order for it to work, we need, we need a firm mission. So we took the first couple months and thought about mission and strategy. And then from there, now, now that we have that solidified, we're kind of looking at implementation. So basically, this innovation studio is the, is the uh, kind of post-digital research design and development laboratory. And what that means is um, it's, it's experimental. Mm-hmm. It's a group of, of kind of a collective of technologists that um, are working together collaboratively on projects for any one museum at a time, but also maybe a couple museums together. Mm-hmm. And so um, our, our, our mission is looking at four things two of which are technology and two of which are operational. So we have, uh, we're looking at 21st, what, what is 21st century digital infrastructure? Like what do museums need in this day and age that they didn't even need, you know, a year or two ago? Right. Things like collection APIs, like, like robust collection APIs. Yeah. Things like uh, open accessible data stores. Things like, frictionless e-commerce. Um, so that's the infrastructure we're talking about. Okay. The second technology-based focus of our mission is, um, and you might, you might see some correlations between these four pillars and the Warhol strategy, but okay. um, the second thing is, is uh, experiential, right? Delightful experiences that make use of the infrastructure we just talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but also experiences that are fun, one-off, just, kind of crazy things that are quick that we can work on prototype fail fast at um, so that's experiential those are the two technology um, areas of the mission the, th- the third thing we're looking at is how can we foster um, partnerships with between the cultural community and the technology community Pittsburgh's an awesome town to live in if you're into tech because we have a huge Google office. We have Apple's in town. Uber is here making self-driving cars. We have a great startup scene. How can we get those people to think what we're doing at the museums is important and cool? And, um, you know, how can we start to work together, uh, collide Mm -hmm. together in interesting ways? And then finally is this idea of adaptation. How can we do our jobs better and, um, and, and at scale, right? <laughs> at the scale of four museums rather than just one museum. So that's, 
that's it in a nutshell. And, and, um, it's, it's super daunting. Uh, and, but it's exciting at the same time, because I think, I, th I think, um, there's a, there's a need there. And I, and I think we can do really interesting work when we start talking about doing it at the scale of a multi-institution, um, organization. So, so this just started in the summer. Yep. Is that what I said? So you've yep. been at this for just a few months now. So. June, yeah, June was the official kickoff. And then so we took the first couple months to, to plan and, and get, get our heads around what this was going to be. And then, um, and then in August or September, we flipped the switch on a website. So everything, and also another good aspect to talk about would be that everything we do is open. Like, so we're going to, we have a website. We're going to write about our projects. We have been writing about our projects. We're going to write about the successes. We're going to write about the mistakes um, yeah. and share what we learn. Um, you know, all the code we write is, going to, you know, is up on GitHub. Uh, and so we're trying to do it as transparent as possible. And just because, I, you know, I think the cultural sector needs more of that. We need to work together more. We need to share our, our knowledge um, more effectively. And there are great museums doing that. I mean, look what Brooklyn and Cooper Hewitt and IMA and, they're all, you know, so, so we just want to do our part um, and the projects we work on will be uh, available and, and free. And what are, you know, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this one, but I think it's important to uh, vocalize why it's important to have things done in the open and have, have stuff out there openly. Uh, why is it important? Yeah. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's important because, um, you know the what's that what's that saying that people always say that the rising tide lifts the ships or something like well all, every ship is lifted but so like if we're all like that's like, i don't i'm bad at those things but, <laughs> but you know the so like we're all strapped for cash we're all strapped for staff uh we're all overworked you know we're all um we're all in the same boat and and if we can contribute and help out an institution that's struggling with something just because we, we wrote a blog post about it, like that's great. And vice versa. If I'm pulling my hair out or lack of hair out um, on us on something that I just can't figure out. And, you know, Shelly at Brooklyn has dealt with this problem or Kyle and the IMA labs have dealt with this problem. Mm -hmm. Like we need to, we just need more of that, you know? And, and, and also it gets around like that enterprise level bloatware that we're all dealing with. Like, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, I think it's super important. Yeah. No, just that it was important to vocalize because it's, yeah, it, it's true, but it's, uh, you know, people still hold their cards closer, claim, you know, want to be proprietary and, and, yeah. It, it's just very punk rock of you to say these kinds of things. <laughs> so, um, Hopefully I'm not a sellout. <laughs> so, um, you know, you mentioned that you're open about your successes as well as your failures. Is there a particular project where the failure was just the best learning, learning ever and something that you discovered? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be open about that. I think that, I think the, well, it's not a failure, but it's definitely has has some holes in it and has some faults, and that would be the 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 Warhol strategy. Okay. Um, and I I say that because having seen so so it was 
I think it's a solid document. I think the tactics are great that we've implemented, but seeing what happens when, when there's a vacancy in that, in the, in the role or the person shepherding that. So like I left the Warhol and it was kind of my baby. So I was like making, making progress and making it work. And I didn't do enough before, before leaving to, to instill the, the momentum behind it. So if you look at it, it's, you know, the tactics have not, um, have not been there in the past couple months. Now they're, they're bringing on a re- a great new person in replacement mm-hmm. there, um, this week actually. So I think she'll pick up and roll, but, um, you know, just see, just, that was a, that was something I didn't expect probably should have, um, another, so projects that, that maybe didn't work, um, very well. Um, let's see, what are we working on? We're, we're, so one project we're working on right now is a, um, at the studio is a, is a, open source digital metrics dashboard. So you know how like some museums have like the, the dashboards like yep. Cleveland has and yep. this is more, this is more focused on digital metrics, okay. taking web analytics and social media and e-marketing and starting to visualize them together so we can see how social is interacting with web and e-marketing versus, and we can overlay physical attendance over top of that. So it's kind of showing how all this stuff is interrelated and it's just been, uh, it's a great project and we're probably going to ship it in the next week or two, but, um, it's been, it's been pretty tough to, um, to wrangle all of this data and, and build it in a way that, um, that could be replicated for, for other institutions, you know, um, and we've built it, we're going to, we're going to, the code is, um, is going to be open source, but, um, um, that's a project that we've struggled with a little bit. And there are projects that have been natural, like very easy wins. Um, yeah. but you know, no, it's interesting. You bring up dashboard because it's something we're discussing in our course this week, actually, and looking at the, just the idea of being transparent, mm-hmm. you know, openness is one thing about sharing code and then transparency is entirely another, um, a, a, you know, another level of that about, Here's why we're here's we're open. Here's the code. Here's why we think it's important. And yeah. here's why you should too. Um, and the dashboard came up as a way of being transparent and open, but not necessarily being um, informative about what those metrics actually mean. So, mm-hmm. in a digital sense, well, that's great that you um, had you know one thousand unique visitors last week, um, but where are they coming from and why is that important? Not, you know, they're coming from, you know, 72 different countries. Uh, they, these are all, you know, these yeah. are the ways that they're using and engaging with the website. So it is, it's, it's like you open a little box of transparency and all of a sudden it unravels all of these possible um, uh, misconceptions of the data or what does it exactly mean? So yeah, yeah it's interesting you brought that up because that's in front of mind for all of us this week. Um, you know, so what was the project maybe that seemed just natural and seamless and, and just was a great fit? And, and what do you think, what made the elements of that work? And like, what, what, what was it about that project that was so great? Um, I can, I can probably talk about two real quick. So the first one is actually something we're working on now and it's a, it's, it's not a tech project. It's a, it's Mm -hmm. a recurring speaker series called Innovation Salons that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one was a, was in September with, we brought in Elizabeth Merritt 
from the Center for the Future of Museums. And, and we just, we host these free open to the public events that, um, that, that we make a, make a, a strong effort to, to uh, invite museum staff to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the first one was great, really great discussion. Um, the second one is happening next week. Actually, we're um, we're combining it with a three-day workshop with this uh, tech artist collective out of New York, and so we're so we're pairing museum staff with this artist collective, and we're going to work on this tech project, and then we're going to have an event on Thursday night that premieres this uh, work that they've done, and um, has have you know kind of a, a discussion about how. Um, uh, photography and specifically uh, photo photogrammetry, which is a, a new kind of photography process, how how that can relate to the museum experience. So, um, this ongoing kind of uh, event series has been really great, way better than I I thought it was going to be, um, and and a tech project that that went really well. Um, I, you know, I, I point to that Amiga project. I think mm -hmm. that was that was great. Um, really just so perfect when it comes to technology, you know, the idea of, of, of reverse engineering, um, mm. computer from the eighties, like <laughs> it was like, that's, it was, it was the perfect vehicle and perfect, um, way to engage and, and communicate with visitors. So, mm -hmm. Well, both of those elements, they have, an, uh, they have uh, this, like a, a broader context, like the Amiga must have brought about ideas of nostalgia and people's first computer and, yeah. you know, those, ki those kinds of things. And, and your speaker series is really tied into that idea around um, uh, the adaptation process and that peer sharing and yeah. you know, learn from, learn from others and really, uh, again, open, open sharing of, of information and ideas. Mm -hmm. So neat. Those are great. Um, well, just to kind of wrap up, like, yeah, you uh, alluded to it a bit in the question before, but I'm just kind of wondering, like, where, where do you see the next, the next level where museums need to go? Uh, you know, what, what you mentioned, some of the 21st century digital infrastructures, but are there any other things museums should really, you know, because, you know, they are titanics and they take mm -hmm. forever to shift and change. So knowing now what needs to be done in the future. So is there anything you, you, you see coming on the horizon that we should be aware of and starting to shift towards? Uh, yeah, I think we need to get faster at everything we do. I think that, I think that, you know, do you know Mike Edson from? I've read lots, yeah. lots of papers and things. You know, he talks a lot about, and something I agree totally with him about is that is that speed is probably the number one issue facing museums um, today. I think um, not that not that attention to detail and um, scholarship should suffer, but we 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 just have to get faster at at everything. Um, so that, I mean, I would, I would say that that's something that I'm focused on in my work is how we can start to, how we can start, start to um, align museum time with tech time. 
with digital time and and in between somewhere somewhere there like there's museum time and then there's technology time and then there's like real world time like in the middle because like tech is super fast and museums are super slow but like how can we start to like how can we start to get those two things closer together um which i think is is very important and then also i think we need to really have the honest discussion of, about internalizing a lot of our um digital skill sets and by that, I mean, um, you know, uh, realizing that skill sets like, like, um, you know, data architects and data analysts are, are important. And they're not roles that you see in many museums, but they're roles that um, if we're thinking about museums in the future, if we're thinking about where we're going, mm-hmm. um, I, I see those roles on par with curators. I really do, um, down the road, you know, mm-hmm. how, so, um, now's, now's a good time to start thinking about that because we don't, you don't want to yeah. get caught, caught behind the, um, eight ball on it. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting you say that. I, cause the, this course focuses on uh, developing a museum web project of some sort. So, uh, each week we go through a different aspect of the iterative process of developing the, um, the structure of, not that we have to build it, but it's, we would have at the end of this course something we could present to programmers and designers and they could technically build from everything that we've done. And uh, in um, this last, we're, we're working on information architecture right now. And this last piece 